Hey, welcome to Taj Tellum. I hope you enjoyed our first episode on Andrew Yang, Universal Basic Income, and the Robot Apocalypse. Uh, the debates happened, and so we decided to record a special episode just focusing on that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the winners and the losers, uh, what was talked about, uh, dive deeper into the different uh, topics that were brought up by some of the candidates who didn't get to speak as much. Hashtag let Yang speak. Enjoy. <laughs> Bienvenidos a Taj Tellum. Me llamo Juan en la casa. And mi amigo Terrence Cho. Hola. <laughs> I, I, I had to do that. I had to do that. You know, we... Uh, welcome back. To, welcome to uh, Taj Tellum. Uh, we, uh, we're doing our episode two today, uh, July uh, 5th, 2019. And uh, one of the first topics that we want to cover is the debates. Yeah, there we go. And then uh, you, you, you did a good Beto Roker impression there. <laughs> or Cory Booker. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg. Just, just, just don't ask me anything in Spanish. <laughs> we need subtitles. I think that, that's uh, anyone looking for uh, you know, an internship. <laughs> <laughs> did you see when uh, Oscar... Uh, ask the uh, questions back to Beto in Spanish. That deer in the headlight look he had. <laughs> so he was like, were, yeah, I know Spanish. <laughs> He's like, ooh, I don't know Spanish. <laughs> He's like, oh, uh, oh, uh, yeah. See, <laughs> see. Si, si. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what were your, imp- like, we watched uh, Night One together. That's Which true. was a collection of uh, Warren, um, Cory Booker, uh, there was Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, who who are the other notables like, that <laughs> Beto O'Rourke, of course, true, right? true. Uh, Castro. Mm. Um, I don't know if he's a notable, but Delaney. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's kind of like the B team, no, almost in a sense, huh? Um, but not by intention, you know. And that's what's kind of strange. Where uh, I know, you know, one of the things that they wanted to do was to evenly divide the top polling candidates uh, between the two nights, and uh, you know, that failed. Yeah. How did they? Do, how did they determine that? So I think the what they determined as top polling is anyone above two percent. Oh no! What I mean is, how did they determine? So basically, they said they it was kind of like a seated thing where the number one and number two spot they would be separate. I don't know if it was seated or it was just anyone after more than 2%. Uh, my impression was everyone over 2%. Uh, and so that's where, I mean, in some ways, the way they did it makes sense. It's kind of like, you know, when you go see a fight, there's like the undercard, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily what you're there to see. And then there's like the, you know, the, the main show, card. The main, the main card. Right. Uh, or when you see a band perform, like, you know, you get the opening acts and then you have like the, the headliner. Right. And I just have a sense that they, they designed it that way. I, I, for ratings. Well, and you know, in the end, it's yeah. all for the ratings. You're absolutely right. I mean, NBC is a for-profit company. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, we don't blame you for getting ratings. Hey, yeah, you know, subscribe <laughs> to Taj Channel. Hit the, mash that subscribe button. <laughs> Smash it. Like it. Share it. <laughs> Turn on notifications. <laughs> <laughs> to our one uh, listener out there. Hey, no, we have like at the time of this uh, recording, we have like what over twenty now. Oh, so, nice. Hey, there you go. Okay, okay. Watch out, NBC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but, you know, another thing about the format is they really tried to uh, evenly distribute the amount of, like, talking time that mm-hmm. candidates had. And again, they failed, you know, just looking at the, yeah. the, I think Cory Booker had the most talking time in, like, the first debates. Mm-hmm. And he had, like, a little over 11 minutes. Uh, Governor Inslee had, like, the lowest time and a little over five minutes. So, you know, a candidate has more than double uh, the amount of talking time in the first night. Second night, even worse. Uh, Biden, a little over 13 minutes. Uh, our man, Andrew yeah, Yang, a little three, less than right? three minutes. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, I, I, we'll talk about this later, but, you know, the whole thing that was trending after Twitter, uh, after the debate was uh, hashtag let Yang speak. No, yeah. I mean, hey, let's talk about it now. Right now? Okay, okay. <laughs> let Yang speak oh, we got to get into the juicy stuff right there we away. Go. Uh, so it was reported right right after uh, right after the uh, debates, uh, he was at a, you know, get together with other Yang Yangers. And, uh, you know, he announced that, you know, his... Uh, Mike had issues, and there was video proof. You're watching it, and he's speaking into the mic, trying to get attention, but no sound from his mic. No, true. And it, <clears throat> you know it wasn't like, oh, let's just only turn on the mic of the person talking and turn everyone else's out. Because, you know, Christian Gillibrand had no trouble <laughs> speaking Kristen <laughs> Bell kept chiming in, man. <laughs> Right. Yeah, there, there's no let let Gillibrand speak a hashtag going. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that that shows it was intentional uh, against Yang. And uh, you know, with uh, J.K. Rowling also. I, I mean, Marianne Williamson. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> that one. There's also no let Williams speak hashtag. Going, no, but so. here's the thing: she also reported that her mic wasn't working. You know, I'm not surprised. You know, just because I think they are more the outsiders, and so I think they. So this is where you know one one driver is ratings. So you know that that's one portion. But the other portion is how much the Democratic uh, National Party has uh, over these debates. Um, I'm not sure if that guidance is coming from the top. Um, well, um, I just I, to be generous, to be generous, uh, there was a post on the Facebook group for um, the Andrew Yang base camp. Mm-hmm. And somebody mentioned that as a production manager uh, for uh, these, uh, not debates, but per, uh, media companies, uh, there is a practice of muting certain people's mics. Mm. Uh, and you can, if you want to be very generous, they were trying to control the number of people speaking at the same time. And also giving time to those that are polled highest because uh, their thinking is, hey, these guys are the polled highest. So most people want to hear from them. And so we don't we don't mute, mute their mics as much. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that that could be true, you know, because it is once again, you know, NBC has a profit motive. So which is understandable. Uh, this isn't PBS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, no, but I think, see, but I think that's the messed up part is uh, you're taking on that kind of responsibility. Mm, yeah, true. Should NBC be the ones, uh, you know, dictating what the American people are able to listen to? I mean, that's just the same argument with Facebook. You know, true. hey, they're taking all the data. Hey, but they're for profit company. So, but yeah, they need to use that data in that respon- uh, in a very responsible way. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe why I think myself and others are upset uh, about this uh, discrepancy in speaking time 
is that, you know, as a result of what happened in 2016 with Clinton and Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, they were, they tried to, you know, put forward, oh, we've changed, we've learned our lesson, they're going to speak, you know, more, they're going to have more equal speaking time, and just first debate right out of the gate, uh, you know, they're ready, you know, not, not, not falling through with those promises. And I think we mentioned this the last time, I guess it depends on uh, where you're standing from, right? Where you're standing, uh, the Bernie bros mm. and the the Warren army, you know, they're mm. all they're probably thinking, hey, yeah, they're giving them more speaking time now. True. I mean, you know, uh, and I think that's maybe where it is where like they're not interested in the principle of uh, fairness and equality in coverage. Uh, they're just more like, OK, it's the people who are supporting Bernie who are complaining. So let's just kind of placate them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly what I think, too. Again, for the ratings as well. Uh, true. Yeah. Because, you know, they do have their, you know, more they're the they're the most popular. So, you know, it um, just so happens they be they were front and center on the debate stage. Bernie and Warren. Yeah, you know, I mean, that makes sense, though, just like Biden. You know, if, if you're polling, you know, toward the top, put him in the center. I mean, I don't think they're... I mean, some of this... Equality is a nice idea, but I think some of these real-world considerations are valid. Um, also, I'll say this, you know, like Yang, uh, you know, I don't want to... He's just not a victim. I mean, he's partially... He's not just partially. He's a lot responsible for his uh, low amount of speaking time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he seemed a little overwhelmed by the big stage. Um I mean, compared to, say, like the uh, um, the fundraiser that we attended, Yang seemed a lot more um, tense, uh, a lot less of his kind of humorous self. Um, you know, even, I think, uh, you know, these things he did to try to loosen up, like not wearing the tie, uh, using some profanity. I think he'll go down as, like, <laughs> yeah. the first person in a debate to use the word ass. <laughs> yeah, laughing their asses yeah. off. Russia. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I think he, he tried to be more so of his relaxed self. I don't know if you saw that video on his Instagram with him, like going into like debate mode or whatever. Oh yeah. The pinning of the, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, there's still elements of that he tried, but I just feel like he being on that big stage is really tensed up. Uh, I, I think that's what he actually said. He Hmm. said he thought he was ready. Um, but you know, getting under the big lights, it's like when you go in for a championship fight, Mm. uh, you know how to box, but you know, with all those cameras, all these people cheering that changes the scene. No, that's true. And I, and I think it's something where that's, what's interesting about these debates because they reminded me that it's not really about your ideas or your policy. It's actually more of a performance and you're really just trying to demonstrate fluency that, Hey, you know, like I'm familiar with the issues, uh, but also to presence, you know, and I think it really comes from the fact that it's kind of like, you know, we're just animals at the end of the day. It's like, uh, you know, when you see two alpha dogs fight it out, like all the, you know, the rest of the, the tribe is like watching and it's like, you know, Biden and Kamala Harris going at it. And who's going to win? You mm-hmm. know, so I think mm-hmm. it, there is this kind of very like primeval desire to to see just like strength, like, you know, personified. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where. I think Yang needs to demonstrate his ability to lead. And I think what makes a good leader is someone that is able to take personal initiative and uh, think about how uh, an organization uh, can work differently. You know, I think that's the difference between a leader and a follower uh, or a manager and a leader. And I think, you know, what's tragic is that um, Andrew Yang, (laughs) he is demonstrating a very well-worn Asian stereotype that uh, agents are good at kind of just following the rules, but not necessarily knowing what rules to break. Um, 
And I think you could see it in like the sense that he really took the debate on too literally. Like he he tried to answer the question he was asked you know, versus, you know, you look at the way Sanders uh, was treating debate. He I think Sanders uh, showed a lot more you know, wisdom from his experience yeah. where he was not even answering the questions that they were asking him. But as a result, he's rewarded for that because he got extra time to clarify his answer and he still didn't answer the question asked. And I think that's where, you know, he knew how to kind of hack the system a little bit and be like, hey, you know, like, I don't care about your agenda, you know, that you're, you know, trying to ask these questions, you know, for ratings or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell my, I'm going to put forward my agenda. So I'm mm -hmm. going to put forward and educate the American people on where I stand on the policies that matter to me and my constituents. And so that's where I think Andrew Yang, I mean, yeah, even when they asked him, oh, like really short, you know, uh, you know, summarize your opinion on, you know, uh, what's the biggest threat, you know, to, uh, you know, our democracy right now. And he's like, and he, and they actually complimented him on his brevity. And it's something where it's like, Hey, you know, like Andrew, like this isn't, uh, you know, let's follow all the rules and be a nice guy. And they're going to make you president. Like, you know, you have to transcend the system, mm -hmm. uh, because you know, their interests are not aligned with your interests. I mean, I think the perfect example is that like really stupid question about like, uh, you know, under your health care plan, uh, you know, which of your health care plans will cover illegal immigrants? And then, oh, yeah. Then, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, what are you trying to do? Get Trump reelected? You know, mm -hmm. like, why are why are you focusing on this issue? You mm -hmm. know, it, it's an issue that no American really cares about. You know, like, you know, we should be talking about how to get health care for American citizens first. And then we can address the, you know, undocumented immigrant, you know, question. I think uh I, I don't know. I kind of think that that is a divisive question, but it also is a legitimate question um, just because that's one of the biggest uh, reasons why Obamacare was pushed through at the beginning was because, hey, um, we have to cover these people. Otherwise, they would just go to the emergency room all the time. No, that's... And th there should be more first dollar coverage. And so I think that's kind of where they came from. Hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we were talking about how uh, they don't answer the questions very fairly, too. No, that's true. Because that, that's, you know, because so uh, two thoughts on that. One, like I agree with you, you know, when you're thinking from a financial perspective, you know, it actually is going to cost us more to not us as an American citizens uh, to not cover illegal, uh, sorry, undocumented immigrants. Mm -hmm. However, um, you know, that you know, needs to be explained like you just explained it. But by just simply asking the question, hey, who's going to cover it? Exactly, raise your hand. Because you when know. you raise your hand, you don't answer the qu You only answer that question, but you don't go into the nuances and the details of how you're going to do that. Exactly. And why you're going to do that. For example, for Andrew Yang, uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised by his answer. What do you mean? Uh, the whole, you know, Medicare for all covering illegal immigrants. Mm. Uh, what, what would you have expected him to answer? I wouldn't have expected him to raise his hand. I think uh, he would have, uh, I, I think his answer is going to be a little, would, would have been a little bit more nuanced. In it. Just considering UBI and mm. undocumented workers. So uh, I just wanted to understand if he's actually going to cover undocumented workers for health insurance, but not give them UBI. Mm. Is that the case? That's my understanding of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but you bring up an interesting question where um, this is one of those things where, yes, it makes more financial sense for us to cover undocumented uh, immigrants, uh, you know, because we're going to end up covering their costs, you know, on the back end through emergency care. But does this kind of create an incentive for people, more people to come to the United States, uh, you know, illegally, um, you know, because they know they can get health care? 
you know, because I, I think that's where the idea of, um, I don't, I'm just going to use the word, mistreatment of undocumented immigrants becomes a deterrent. Um, you know, because I've been hearing reporting on when they ask, uh, you know, these people in the migrant trains, you know, coming up from Central America through Mexico. Um, it's not so much the rhetoric that convinces them to take the trip or not, but it's actually what's happening at the border. Because if they're actually not letting people in, somehow the news of that reality filters down and people know, oh, okay, like, you know, can't I'm not going to have in. a chance. I can't go in, you know, versus, you know, and it doesn't really matter what the rhetoric says. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually, you know, on the ground what the policy is doing. And so that's where I wonder, you know, are we going to shoot ourselves in the foot by, you know, adopting these policies and then thinking it's going to be cost savings and it ends up just attracting, more you know, people. more, more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you give uh, a mouse an inch and they're going to want a mile, right? Uh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. <laughs> or or cookies give, yeah. and milk. I'm exactly. sorry. Uh, yeah. Give a mouse a cookie. He's going to ask for milk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so with, with, uh, with going back to the debates, um, want to talk about the time you started off with that. And I think, uh, on night two, uh, is it governor Bennett? Uh, Bennett. Uh, what, what state? Uh, the second debate. I can't remember what, mm. uh, what state, but Bennett received like five questions directed at him. Mm. And, uh, Andrew Yang only actually two directed at him, but he mm. got to answer three different questions. I see. Uh, and Bennett was actually polling much lower and qualified for the race much later mm-hmm. than Andrew Yang. Yeah, I mean, that's where I think the establishment angle is coming into play, you know, because, uh, I mean, even if you go to our YouTube channel, go to our YouTube channel. Taj Talam. <laughs> Taj Talam. Uh, you'll see that, you know, Andrew Yang brings up the point that every other candidate except for him and I think Marianne Williamson um, – they're incentivized to kind of play nice because they want a spot in the Joe Biden administration <laughs> or whoever ends up, you know, winning the nomination. But does uh, Andrew Yang give a shit about a Oh, no, spot he does on? not. He absolutely does not. We have him on camera. Uh, there's a he link right not. here. Oh, yeah, there you go. Link in the description. Um, and I think, you know, by not having that incentive, you know, like they're a little scared that he's going to speak a little more freely, you right. know, and he's going to go a little like off message in a sense, you know, because I think so much of the debate, uh, was less about informing the American people on where the candidates stand, but pushing forward uh, the Democratic Party's agenda and drawing contrast to the current administration. Um, and I understand that's valid, you know, but uh, as a voter, that's not what I'm interested in. I want to actually learn about the candidates, where they stand on the issues. And so that's where, uh, again, even if you don't even support Andrew Yang, if you just support democracy, I, I think uh, you should definitely uh, support like this let Yang speak uh, kind of movement. Uh, and ke- and try to keep these media companies accountable. Uh, so, how did you feel the treatment of Biden throughout the whole debate? I mean, he was definitely front runner. So, I mean, everyone was gunning for him. That actually led to him getting a lot more talking time because he, you know, they had to give him time to respond. Uh, I think his performance was definitely underwhelming. I think he has the Hillary Clinton <laughs> syndrome because he's the he's he's the guy uh, you know in the front. Uh, he's just playing it really safe. Very you know cautiously. he ran for thirty two years, and every single election he's uh, only polled under one percent. Hmm. So he's failed many many times. But for some reason, this year, he's still the most popular. I think it's because of this uh, kind of bullshit metric of, like, electability, uh, which essentially just means, like, you know, straight older white man. Um, But it also means someone who's, like, more of a centrist, 
Um, I think he's also known. He's he's a known quantity, you know, because of the uh, his role in the Obama administration. Um, but I think no one's really enthusiastic about having Joe Biden as our next president. I don't. I don't see anybody. No, exactly. It's like kind of like I'll, I'll plug my nose, and then you know we'll have him. Uh, and I think. You know, perhaps that's the strategy to go. You know, I'm not a political strategist, but, you know, I am more drawn to the idea that you need a candidate that will energize people to to go out there. Uh, also, I think it is discounting all the things that Trump is doing right. You know, I think that, you know, on the coast, people are just anyone but Trump. But I think you look at the rest of the country, I think... Uh, at the end of the day, if you look at the traditional metrics of like what the stock market or like uh, unemployment rates, you know, our economy uh, is functioning, you know, well, uh, I think people don't necessarily feel that because of the inequality. Uh, but I think there is skepticism over what will Biden do to solve that inequality. Uh, and I think, um, you know, by no means am I a Trump supporter, but I think, you know, things like the way his handling of, uh, you know, the, the drone being shot down over Iran. Uh, I think he handled that very well, um, you know, where he was able to not go to war with Iran, but at the same time, you know, not look like a pussy by, like, backing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he he handled it better than Obama handled a lot of foreign policy. You know, uh-huh. like, Obama backing down over his red line. I think, you know, history has shown, like, you know, that was a really dumbass move to make. Right. Um, his willingness to intervene in Libya and listening to Clinton, <laughs> the Secretary of State. He at made time. a lot of mistake during the Arab, Arab Springs time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I think Obama was showing very poor judgment. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, just comparing it, Trump is showing much better judgment. So, mm. uh, and I, I just say that not because I'm a Trump supporter, but just saying, hey, that's, those are the facts. And that's why I think, you know, unless we get a candidate that, uh, the American people can actually see as, uh, you know, a tangible improvement over Trump. You know, Trump's going to win 2020. Show us your Republican tattoo. No way. You know, that's why I'm back in Yang. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying, you know what? I don't want this to happen, you uh-huh. know, because four more years of Trump would be a disaster. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, we need to see meaningful change. Uh, you know, we need to see dramatic change, mm-hmm. you know, because I think uh, with the growing uh, threat of automation uh, and climate change, you know, we're looking at, uh, these things are going to happen within the next, like, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have time to kind of fuck around. So, um, you know what turned me off about this whole debate? What's up? And I have to say, you know, I'm a, I, I, as much as I, I support Andrew Yang, I've donated the most to him of all candidates ever in my life. Um, you know, I, I still fully support him. But I, what I felt like what he didn't do or what he I, I wish he didn't do was that in his closing remark, he um, he mentioned that if you, you know, to beat Trump, you need somebody like him. Um, I just don't like that whole, let's beat Trump. Let's just beat the other side. Uh, it's more like, yeah, he has the ideas to back up, back it up. And I think his ideas are great. And he, it, those ideas can beat Trump. But he didn't highlight that. He ended up doing just like what all the, all the uh, other um, candidates did. This is how we're going to beat Trump. And we're also going to beat Trump with love, you know. Uh, but, I mean, hey, it's just like, all right. I'm, throughout the debates, I was just thinking, man, that I, I don't need to hear more about Trump. I just want to know how you're going to fix the problem, not how you're going to beat Trump. Yeah, I mean, they're taking the bait. Uh, they're, they're definitely taking the bait. Um, I mean, you know what it is? It's, I think sometimes, uh, you know, 
politics can be its own echo chamber. And I think that's where, you know, boneheaded concepts like electability or like anyone but Trump kind of comes into play. Because I don't think actual American people think that way, the majority I, of the American public. I don't think so either. Uh, I think that's they, they voted for Trump not because they really loved the guy. I, well, at that, at that time. It's because of all the problems and things weren't going well. But there's Hillary Clinton saying, no, things are good. Exactly. America is already great. Oh, yeah, and the corruption. You know, I think people are sick of the corruption in our government. Um, I think that's where also the Democrats are making a bonehead move by focusing on Russia too much. Like, they should be focusing on the domestic corruption that's happening. I mean, you know, we can get into this, you know, later, but it's the idea of, like, Trump's uh, nominee for uh, the defense secretary is a former lobbyist for Raytheon, you know, like the third largest defense contractor. You know, so I think that's where the corruption is so clear. But the problem is it's on both sides. I wonder what side he wants. Does he want war or not want war? Yeah, there you go. And so I I think because, you know, uh, this military industrial complex has its tentacles on both parties, they're not willing to address, like, the the real corruption that's going on. And so that's where, you know, I favor outsider candidates like Yang more so because, you know, at least at this point, uh, you know, he isn't compromised by them. And so, you know, and I think the American people, they share my frustration. And so that's where, you know, I think it's just a matter of raising awareness uh, for uh, Andrew Yang right. uh, and candidates like him. Uh, I think that's, you know, part of the reason why we're even doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when it comes to um, the kind of the never Trump, you know, or the, or the positioning as just who can beat Trump. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I I just don't like. I I just don't think it's because. Okay, what is what is anti-Trump? What do you mean by that? Hey, I'm gonna be the guy who beats Trump. What does that mean? <laughs> it's an Asian guy who likes math. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding. But it's like, okay, what is it? I'm not racist. Is that anti-Trump? You know, I'm not old. Is that anti-Trump? Like, what policies are you putting through that means you're anti-Trump? Like, how, what policies are you going to win against Trump? Like, in what issues? But it's, it's so far-ranging. Uh, there's really no definitive answer there. That's why I don't like it, because it just, it's just, I can be Trump, but, you know, like, you know, that's like, uh, you know, uh, Steph Curry saying, I can beat the Raptors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what it is, is like, I think... Um I think it's just a frustration where, uh, you know, people just want to see the Democratic Party coalesce around one candidate and they could care less who it is. Um, That's stupid. And I think that's, once again, largely coming from the baby boomers because, you know, they don't have much more time left on, you know, this earth. So they're like, you know what, I care about, you know, the next maybe 10 years, you know, versus I think millennials such as us. Like, God damn, we got to live in this country for the next like 40, 50 years. So, you know what? Yeah, I don't like Trump, but... You know, I'm not about to sell out my future, you know, and just pick like Joe Biden, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's where, like, I have the appetite for meaningful change. And I think many younger Americans do as well. And see, this is why I really like Tulsi. Mm-hmm. Um, he, she wasn't running on, even though she did criticize Trump, but she very clearly outlined what she, in what area she differed from Trump. And, and that's in foreign policy. And who and she didn't keep in mind she didn't say Trump himself, she said that he is surrounded by war hawks, mm. Pompeo, Bolton, uh, and there's this other guy. And uh, 
I feel like somebody with somebody somebody with a military background, you know, word gets around in an organization, and you just know kind of who's in charge and what how the policies are made, and um, people talk, um, and they can probably kind of see who are the ones who really want war and who who are the ones who don't. I think I, I really like that one moment that exchange she had with uh, you know uh, Representative Brian. <laughs> oh gosh, yo, know, that, that was great! Oh my god, he's <laughs> like, well, we got to have some kind of presence. Yeah, there. we got to attack the Taliban. Yeah, and it's just like, well, number one, you know, like, well, we should be there indefinitely. And what is eleven thousand American troops really going to do indefinitely? And then two, like, you dumb fuck, you know, like it wasn't the Taliban that attacked us; it was Al Qaeda. And if you're just saying, oh, but the Taliban, you know, was protected creating, them. Oh, yeah, it was creating conditions that cultivated this extremism. Well, guess what? So is Saudi Arabia, you know, so what? You oh, and she pointed that out, exactly. too. That's the Saudis. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. Are we going to go to war with every single country that's supporting terrorism? Then we got to go to war with uh, Saudi Arabia. Then. I heard uh, her Google Trends uh, search went up a lot after the first debate, even though I didn't feel like she did anything. I mean, she was the number one searched uh, candidate after the debates. That's true. I think it's because, you know, the mainstream media doesn't really cover these more outsider candidates. And so this was their first chance to the American public's first chance to uh, kind of encounter them. And uh, I think they were saying things that resonated with them. I think no one wants these endless wars. You know, the only people who want these endless wars are defense contractors uh, and these war hawks that love power. Uh, who, who do you think are the winners of the last debates or the, the this debate, uh, I think from the first night, Elizabeth Warren definitely. Uh, you know, I felt like she just won by default. Well, you know what it is is that you know she has maybe she had the most robust kind of policy oh. platform of any candidate on the first night, oh. uh, as well as um, you know she isn't terribly well known, but she's well known enough, and so I think she's kind of pulling support that Bernie Sanders would normally uh, take from. Um, I think Castro, you know, he showed, I think he definitely differentiated himself. Um, and I, I would say, you know, if you look at the data, Tulsi Gabbard, definitely. Uh, I think, uh, Castro, what he's proposing is very interesting. Uh, how so? Uh, his, I think it's section 1325 going, doing away with that section, which essentially makes crossing the border illegally, not a criminal offense. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, once again, like, I don't think that that is, you know, the issue that most Americans care about. I think that's him trying to ride the news cycle. Um, You know, so I, I personally, you know, I don't necessarily think he has (laughs) Snowball's chance in hell in this, in in this uh, primary. Uh, But, you know, I I think. But he speaks Spanish. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just playing to the crowd. It was, it was in Miami. Uh, Miami's uh, heavily Hispanic. Uh, I also think that, uh, once again, it's NBC, like, fighting for ratings. So, um, so I mean, I can kind of see say I feel like the clear losers were Delaney, Ryan. <laughs> Definitely Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, really. It was just that little short bit with Tulsi that killed him, that nail in the coffin. Yeah, cause now he looks like a war hawk. Yeah. Um, you know what it is? I think anytime there's conflict or confrontation, uh, that's what, um, you know, sticks in uh, the American public's minds. So I do think from, the, think from the first night, it's Tulsi Gabbard and Ryan. Second night, it was uh, Kamala Harris and Biden. Yeah. Um, even though they kept going back to Bernie, uh, Bernie wasn't attacked. 
Yeah, because I mean, he's just saying the same shit he was saying in 2016, mm-hmm. you know. So, and I think he successfully helped move the party more left. So, a lot of the candidates up there now embrace his policy proposals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, there's nothing really that you know contentious, you know, about what he's saying. So, uh, so from the second night, we would agree that Kamala. Oh yeah, definitely Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernie still can't. Basically, Bernie just kind of stayed where he was, but Biden really lost. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, I think his, um, yeah, his role is like the front runner. Uh, I think he's showing some kind of cracks in his armor in a sense. Um, yeah, I think he, he's falling into the Hillary Clinton trap, you know, where he's just trying to play too safe. Uh, they're from the same era. Definitely. You they know, and they're both career politicians. They're career politicians. You know, I, I think it's something where, so, uh, I mean, we'll get into this later, but it's the idea that, you know, these people like Biden and Clinton, they benefit from a very like short primary uh, because as you know, more and more candidates get more and more time to speak, uh, you know, viable alternatives emerge, uh, you know, the emptiness of their platform, you know, gets revealed more so. And so, you know, that's why when in 2016, when Clinton was running, uh, you know, the Democratic Party really tried to have as little debates as possible. Yeah, they did it on a Saturday night. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And which nobody usually watches on a Saturday night because most people are out, you know, going to bars or, you know, watching movies. Yeah, no, very true. Uh, They were trying. That's how uh, the uh, DNC chair was trying to silence Bernie. No, very true. And, And so it's something where. I'm happy to see, you know, Biden get roughed up a little bit, you know, in this first round of debates. Uh, I would be happy to see a longer primary, um, you know. It's a long primary, actually, now. True. Yeah. yeah. No, Ever since 2016, the primaries has gotten really long. True. I mean, I think part of it is ratings. <laughs> I think they, I think, you know, they, they want something to cover. Uh, but also another part of it is the sense that I don't think there are, like, clear kind of party heads anymore. Um, you know, cause even Trump, you know, like pre 2016, like he was kind of a joke, you know, and everyone's like, Oh, Jeb Bush, you know, where's Jeb now? Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Taj Tell. If you like what you heard, go ahead and just smash that subscribe button or give us a like, a thumbs up, anything to help and make sure you turn on the notifications. Five star rating on Apple podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what the ratings are. A lot of... Or Google. <laughs>